This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by MediaTek. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Thursday, May 13th, 2021. And my guest is Finbar Monian of MediaTek. Hi, Finbar. How are you? Hey, Mariam. Great to see you again. Good to be on. Thanks again for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I've got you on because MediaTek just announced the Dimensity 900 this week. And, you know, for me, it's exciting because it's, it was like always a gap in your lineup, you know, mm-hmm. and as a, I always thought to myself, something's got to land there. And so I kind of want to talk to you about that and get your feeling for what it brings to the table, what it means for future phones, et cetera, et cetera. So tell us a little bit what's going on here. Sure. I think you know us too well, Miriam, at this stage. <laughs> Maybe you're predicting our moves now, but <laughs> I think I think you I think you nailed it. Um, you know, obviously we've seen, you know, a lot of adoption of 5G, you know, over the last year, year and a half. You know, MediaTek's had a lot of success with with our 5G portfolio. Um, and earlier this year, we launched the Dimensity 1100 and 1200 that are more at the premium flagship tier for the for the high end. Yeah, for sure. The Dimensity 900 that we announced this week, um, I think, is is really about bringing as many of those premium experiences as we can from the high end flagship devices down into you know this tier. Um, but it's you know it sits above like the Dimensity 800 uh, family that we also had uh, announced last year. Yeah, and I know you've been very successful with even the cheaper dimensities, like the 700. I just got two 700 phones uh, recently. Actually, I'm going to talk about one of them on the show later with my guest, Igor. You know, I it feels to me, like maybe I'm wrong, but that you're almost flooding the market at the kind of entry-level 5G uh, with this Dimensity 700. And to me, this is really exciting because I think accessibility to technology is one of the things that made me become a tech journalist, you know? Yeah, no, and I think that's always been very much core and part of MediaTek's mission, right, is to bring, you know, that experience, that technology to everybody, right? And clearly, you know, on a global basis, we're seeing, you know, very high penetration of, of 5G. Uh, you know, I think it's a little concentrated still in markets like the US, Europe, China, for example, and hasn't quite perhaps reached all the markets yet. But that's, you know, certainly going to change over, over time. And so the, you know, the the Dimensity products at the, you know, 700 series are obviously meant for more of that mass market, you know, 5G expansion. Um, and then we have the Dimensity 900 and the, you know, 1,000, 1,100, 1,200 families that bring, you know, high, higher end experiences. Yeah. And then you do have these kind of special chips too. I mean, and they're not probably that special in the sense that to me, they look special because they have a slightly different name, like the 800U, right? Yeah. And I realize this is more about the 900, but I'm curious if you can tell us more about the variations on these different models. Yeah. I mean, some of those are more, um, you know, specific SKUs where we emphasize specific features or we push the frequencies a little higher to give you slightly better performance, for example. Um but um, you know, getting back to the to the Dimensity nine hundred, you know, I think mm-hmm. we're we're migrating now to six nanometer technology for this series as well. So that's the latest technology uh, that brings about an eight percent um, power improvement over previous for seven sure. nanometer technologies, which is is, is always important. Um, and we're also bringing in like the Cortex A seventy eight core, so the next generation core. Oh, okay. 
Um, you know, so that gives a CPU uplift as, as well. And I would say the other area that we're focused a lot on in this product is really around the imaging and the video uh, HDR capability. You know, I was just reading a, okay. an interesting report this morning from um, Ericsson's Consumer Lab, where they were they've done a, an extensive study around 5G usage, and they're really seeing consumer behavior changing because of 5G. Um, and you know, of course, yeah. <laughs> cloud gaming and AR were two of the applications that they really said was really taking off with with five G consumers these days. So I think you know, the video, the gaming, the multimedia experience continues to be very important for consumers. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it sounds to me like there's a series of firsts going on here with the new A cores. And so, how much of that technology is trickling down in terms of the different like modules in the chip, like the ISP, the DSP, the the neural network slash AI processing units, the GPU? Tell us how much of that you're going to be getting from the higher end chips down into the 900, which obviously is not in low end chip by any means. It's it's kind of more like your upper mid-range, premium mid-range chip, correct? Exactly, exactly. I think a lot of the technology is migrating down. Of course, you know, there are different price bands, so there are always some trade-offs you have to make in terms of features and, and performance. But same process technology, so we get all of the power benefits of, of 6 nanometer in the 900 compared to the 1100, 1200. Um, Cortex-A78, although in the high end, it's quad-core. Um, here, it's a dual-core 78, so you 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 have a two plus six configuration here. Got it. I was going to ask if it was yeah. eight core total. Yeah. Um, yeah, but two plus six, whereas the high end is a four plus four uh, configuration. Mm -hmm. In, you know, I think the graphics will be scaled back a little bit, but again, still delivering a very premium experience, we think. Um, and I would say the other big area that really leverages the high end is going to be in the camera, the ISP, and yeah. the, that capability. That's really, I think, we're delivering with the 900 really kind of the same experience of, of the flagship there. You mentioned that twice now, and I want you to elaborate because you know imaging is a big part of my coverage. Yeah. And my audience loves cameras and phones. So um, tell us a little bit, what can we expect and how does that fit into, you know, obviously it's hard because you're releasing these chips at different times, right? Like the, you know, the thousand now is what, like a year, more than a year old, right? It's a year and a half or something, right? Yeah, November 19, we announced it. So you can't just go by the numbering, right? In terms of performance and specs. And so tell us in this current zeitgeist of the way the chipsets are, where do you kind of fit in with the ISP? Because, you know, obviously at the high end, we're seeing Qualcomm with triple ISPs right now yep. and, and things like that. So. You folks at MediaTek have always pulled these features we see on other companies' devices and brought them in at a much more affordable price point. And that's always got me really excited and always got me hunting for the MediaTek phones because I'm like, hey, I can get all the goodness I get on a really expensive phone for a much lower price point without sacrificing performance. Yeah. So let me maybe share a little bit. So on the Dimensity 900, we, we support up to 108 megapixels for the camera and we can mm -hmm. support up to four simultaneous camera inputs. So you can have up to wow. four, four, four camera sensors, if you like, uh, as we've seen in, with the devices these days having having multiple sensors. And uh, you know, I think since the Dimensity 1000, we've also evolved our camera ISP technology. So the same core technology sits now in the Dimensity 1100, 1200, and this new Dimensity 900 device. And that also brings with it then uh, a full 4K 
HDR video engine. So you can really record full 4K HDR um, video. Um, and then we've also built in a lot of hardware acceleration around that full dynamic range that you get with you know 4K HDR, uh, HDR plus, uh, HDR 10 plus, I should say. Things like, you know, real-time translation of like standard DSDR to HDR content. So again, all of your picture content, picture quality, scaling, uh, performance improvement will be, will be there with the 4K experience. So I, I very little difference in space, I would say, between those two tiers when it comes to the camera, the video capabilities. Cool. And um, are you able to leverage at this tier the ability to have multiple cameras providing data to the ISP simultaneously to improve performance? We've seen this a lot of it is software dependent because it also relies on the ML and AI cores, right? Yeah. But I'm curious, like, how much of that we're going to see at that price point of that at tier, right? Yeah. The, the the platform supports up to four concurrent camera inputs, so you can oh, have concurrent. I didn't realize that's what you meant. Yeah, you can have up to four. Now, again, wow. You know, that's up to the device makers and the OEMs of how they want to configure. So that's the peak capability that you can achieve with the with the platform. But again, I think you'd agree that's you know very high end capability built into the chipset. And again, we're giving our customers the ability to deliver those kind of experiences if they if they choose to. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't expecting it. That's why I'm asking, because you, you folks are always pushing the envelope. So I'm like, okay, what tricks does Finbar have up his <laughs> sleeve this time, right? Well, it's it's not it's not me, it's our engineers. No, you know? I know it's not you, but but you know, you're you're the face right now. So, you know, it's your fault. Yes. No, just kidding. Uh, but yeah, I think I think this is good. Tell us a little more about 5G capabilities on this chip. Obviously, you know, you guys have now, even at the 700 level, dual 5G support, mm -hmm. which is yep. pretty tremendous. I suppose that's continuing here, right? Of course, of course, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, This the Dimensity 900 leverages all of the proven 5G technology that we've been shipping. So we we support, you know, all of the voice over NR capabilities, you know, all of the dual carrier 5G, we can aggregate the TDD bands and the FDD bands like we did from the very first SOC. Um, all of the 5G dual SIM capability is built into this platform as well. So it's really it's really leveraging all of the proven um, modem capabilities that we've already built in. Of course, we get some power advantages because of the six nanometer. So we right. continue to we continue to get some some incremental improvements on the overall 5G battery and power usage there. Um, but I think it 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 meets you know all of the the needs of the you know five G sub six uh, networks that we're seeing rolling out over 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 the world basically. Right. So technically, this chip could, depending on how many power amplifiers and the front end basically you set up, you could support pretty much any band in any country at this time. Correct. Yeah, we've. I think we've got coverage built into our modem for, sub, for all the sub-six yeah. bands. And that would include, for example, even the the new C-band spectrum that we'll start to oh, see wow. coming online in the US. So we've already got support for those that capability built into the chipsets. That's exciting. Indeed, yeah. Maybe we'll get to see a Verizon device at some point. You know that they're now making devices that don't have millimeter wave, believe it or not, for their visible, I think, brand or one of their, you know, uh, virtual network operators. And so 
I think that's great because, you know, not like not everybody needs a millimeter wave. I mean, it's nice, but it's really just a, a one trick pony in many ways. So, And the coverage will be there with sub six bands as right, we've seen exactly. in, in, in other markets. Yeah, Fantastic. And so I'm curious as well about other things like Wi-Fi. We're looking at Wi-Fi 6, Wi-Fi 5, 6E. Yeah, that's a good catch, actually. That's another area that we've leveraged uh, the capabilities from the high end and brought it in. So um, this this supports 2 by 2 Wi-Fi 6 uh, Wi-Fi. So you get about a 30, 40% speed improvement, you know, compared to the previous generation. Like I'm comparing it to the Dimensity 800, 820 family from last year. Those, mm-hmm. those integrated Wi-Fi 5. So we've upgraded to Wi-Fi 6 in this platform as well. So that's probably another area that the, you know, the premium features are starting to trickle down into the 900. Any Bluetooth improvements as well while we're talking radios? Yeah, we leverage the same Bluetooth 5.2 capability that we talked about in the Dimensity 1200. Okay. Uh, I, I think the, the biggest kind of advantage there is support for some of the low power audio codecs and stereo codecs that you that you get with the bluetooth 5.2 so that capability will be will be built in as well oh nice so it's pretty future proof that's that's exciting yep in terms of raw cpu and gpu power obviously as i said earlier there is a non-linear performance difference between the numbered chips because they came out different time frames right Mm -hmm. like you can't expect a chip that's a year and a half to perform as well even though it was the highest end to perform as well overall when you measure like power consumption and everything as a newer chip with a lower number so where do you kind of fit the the dimensity 900 in the entire dimensity lineup if i were to look at benchmarks, I mean, it's obviously not something I focus on, but you know, some some people do, and I'm sure some of the listeners be curious. Yeah, I think you know, if you sort of the if you go back to a year ago, like we had the Dimensity 800, the Dimensity 820. I think just on raw CPU performance, like the compute intense activities, we're probably seeing 19, 20% performance lift uh, compared to that. Uh, That's significant. So some of that comes from the Cortex-A78, the new CPU architecture. Um, We have built-in support for LPDDR5, so the latest memory interface here as well. So you get some advantages on the memory throughput. And of course, the process technology gives us a little bit of a bump as well. So when you put all that together, you know, we probably see 20%, something like that, compute compute performance. Um, Graphics will be a little bit better as well compared to the previous one. Won't get as much as the Dimensity 1200, but again, it's a a different, different tier. Wow. Yes, yes. And the 1200 is a pretty recent chip. So it's like you're still kind of comparing yeah. a little closer together, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like I think we're comparing really to like this is certainly a lift up from the Dimensity 800, 820 um, last year. And, and probably the other area I would point out is the, um, you know, AI, which we've talked a little bit about in other discussions, Miriam. But the, mm-hmm. you know, AI is something we continue to invest heavily on in terms of integrating that capability into the chips. There, we probably see something in the order of like 40 to 80% performance improvement compared to the 800, the A20. So clearly, that's another okay. another big, big step up. And that's probably more in line with the capabilities that we we saw in the flagship devices earlier as well. 
Yeah, you can't really compare these things, you know, one to one in the sense that ML and AI is becoming such a significant part of the workloads now. Like, you know, off the the ISP offloads some of the work to the MI to the ML AI stuff. The CPU, of course, the GPU if you're playing games as well. And so you 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 don't really notice necessarily that this is happening as a user, but it benefits you in terms of performance for the same baseline like if you you know you you just get better games say for example better gameplay from a chip that has better ai and ml for the same cpu and gpu performance like as a previous chip right exactly because the games can take advantage of the improved machine learning ai stuff so i think that's something to keep in mind and i've i felt that you know, MediaTek has always impressed me. I have to run benchmarks when I do reviews for uh, hot hardware, and every time I, I get a MediaTek device to review, I'm I'm always like, "Wow, look at this! Look at this AI performance!" Right? Like it's so. I think this is one of the things that's always gotten me excited about MediaTek is you guys have always been on the forefront of the ML and AI story. And I guess it's continuing here as well. So that's yeah, exciting. Yeah. I'm glad we still have the ability to surprise you a little bit, Murray. <laughs> that's oh, good. come on. <laughs> you know that. I mean, honestly, as I said, like I've got those two Diamond C700 phones right now. I should, might as well name them. The, the Realme 8 5G just came out yesterday. Mm-hmm. Exciting device. Got one of those. I guess the second one I can't call out because it's, it's coming. It's from our friends at Xiaomi. And honestly, you know, using them, they feel to me just like if I was using an 800 from a year ago almost. Almost. And I mean, it's pretty impressive to see that, especially when you see the price point on that phone, 179 pounds on the Realme 8 5G. Yeah, that's pretty amazing, right? Like, so of course, that's the entry level four gigabyte, 64 gigabyte model. But, you know, a 5G phone like that translates to what, 250, 220 US dollars. Mm-hmm. And who knows if it'll come to the US, probably the Realme won't, but it'll come to the rest of the markets and sure. i mean definitely india and stuff so no i think that that's a very exciting device and again i think it it proves the you know the other part of our you know portfolio is around really enabling the technology for everybody right and i think the you know the dimensity 700 which we launched last year you know is starting to show up now in in these devices like you're mentioning um, and you'll see more, of course. Um, but it's it's very much that mission of you know it's delivering the full five G experience as well. Um, of course, you know you have to make some compromises between the different price tiers. But you know I don't think we've compromised that much, and I think it'll be a compared to let's say four G experiences. You know it it will be a big step function for consumers for sure. So when do you think we'll be able to start seeing devices with this chip this year or? With the Dimensity 900? Yeah, the 900. The first devices will probably launch this quarter, actually, within weeks. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, yeah, so yeah. This, is, this is like, this is eminent. let's go, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Cool. So next couple of weeks, keep your eyes open. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure. You know, sometimes it's there's a, like sometimes it's just a quarterly, especially now with the chip production constraints. I wasn't going to make any assumptions. Yeah, no, but we, we expect Q2. And you guys have this under control. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> You've been around the block a few times when it comes to manufacturing chips and your partners, right? We ship a number of devices, that's true. So I think we know what we're doing. Can you speak to who's manufacturing this for you? It's a TSMC um, 6 nanometer process. Yeah, okay, yes. that's what I figured. With 6 nanometers, it's... Same process as the 1100, 1200. Fantastic. Well, there you go. The, you, got, you guys have a really good partnership there. For uh, many, many years. I know, and everybody's kind of really, really having a hard time with chips right now. So the fact that kudos to MediaTek for being able to launch this product 
really launch it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, it's yeah. like one thing when you announce, it's another thing when to ship volume. there's this quarter delay between getting the devices out there, right? Exactly. Cool. Anything else you want to tell us about the Dimensity 900 or the entire Dimensity lineup while I still have you on the show here? I think we hit most of the key features, I think, and, and use cases on the Dimensity 900. You know, I think this is just part of our ongoing strategy. You know, we've talked before about, you know, 5G has really been transformative, I think, for, for the industry, but also for media tech in terms of fueling some of our growth in terms of the smartphone market, our, our revenue growth. But, you know, we're also seeing a, a big ramp in 5G um, globally. We expect about over 500 million 5G devices to ship this year. Uh, you know, and it's going to continue to accelerate as it sort of penetrates more and more of the the different tiers and the different price points from the high end, you know, with things like the Dimensity 700 fueling the mass market adoption of 5G going forward. So lots of exciting things happening in 5G. No, it's it's a good time to be around. I mean, I think that it's, it's starting to gel. I'm really looking forward to India getting 5G finally, because I feel like, you know, it's a little weird that they're selling these 5G phones in that market, which is extremely price critical and feature critical. Like, I think it drives a lot of kind of like the best lower price competition we see in the in the market which yep. makes for better phones and better you know better devices at a lower price point but it's kind of ironic that a lot of them actually can't be used on any 5g network really there so i think that's something to look forward to i think and of course in the us 5g is becoming very rapidly a must-have you know i keep saying you don't need it mm -hmm. and so i just said a must-have but i think it's because the way i see it is if you buy a phone today like say this dimensity 900 phone comes out in a month and you buy this phone you're going to keep it a couple of years and by the time at least within a year you're going to be able to benefit from 5g no matter where you are at least in this market the us yeah so to me you don't need it. Yeah, sure. You can wait another two years and get a 4G device now and move on to 5G in two years. You'll be okay. But why not, you know, at the prices we're looking at with these devices, why not just get yourself a 5G phone and benefit from some of that 5G performance, especially in terms of with sub six, especially in terms of like reach, you know, like mm -hmm. coverage. I think it's not just about performance in terms of speed. It's about, you know, getting a better signal in, different, in many more places, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, what's clearly happened with the kind of volume that's out there in the industry now is, you know, as above certain price tiers, 5G just becomes kind of by default, right? And, yeah. um, you know, we've also seen that, you know, all of the 5G chipsets are taking advantage of advanced process technology like 7 nanometer or 6 nanometer, et cetera, whereas like 4G devices are probably in slightly older technologies. So that allows for a whole bunch of other features and power benefits beyond just the 5G part. And it sort of just gets bundled together as part of the chipset. So it's not just the 5G, but the experience that comes with it, I think. Yeah, you make a good point. That's true. I mean, sometimes you don't necessarily need to connect to a 5G network to benefit from a chip that has 5G because of the economies of scale around power management and stuff like that, for sure. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Well, listen, Finbar, we're out of time, but thanks so much for being on the show yet again and, you know, teaching us all the good things that <laughs> we need to know about MediaTek. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Mariam. Thank you. And folks, I'm now with Igor Bonifacic of Engadget. Hey, Igor, how's it going? Not too bad. How are you, Miriam? I'm great. So you heard all this MediaTek stuff mm -hmm. on the Dimensity 900. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think it's an interesting chip from, um, uh, from MediaTek. You know, as we were talking before the show, uh, this is like, for them, it's an important step, right? Like, 
Yeah. It's a compelling uh, chip from the standpoint of this is something that we imagine will be competitive with uh, Qualcomm's 700 series chips, right? And um, for sure, uh, you know, I made a point before the show that that is like Qualcomm's, I think now bread and butter, right? You know, uh, the 800 series gets all the like attention, uh, but <laughs> yeah. last year it was really, you know, the 700 series chips that powered some of the most interesting and best bang for buck phones in the market, right? Like I'm thinking of the Pixel 5 and so on, right? Yep, 100%. I, I called it the unsung hero right. of the chip world last year, yeah. Yeah, and you know, like the OnePlus Nord, like mm-hmm. another Snapdragon uh, 700 series uh, phone. And, you know, I think MediaTek has, it's kind of consistently not been necessarily under the radar, but um, it just hasn't had really because of how carrier relationships work. And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, like uh, bias from North American carriers towards Qualcomm um, and that kind of CDMA legacy. Yeah. It hasn't really had a chance to break in. And hopefully this is a sign of things to come. Yeah, for sure. We're going to be talking about MediaTek in um, the context of the uh, Realme 8 5G mm-hmm. in a few minutes. But I wanted to... So talking with you about some of the news of this week that are mm-hmm. kind of new phones. The uh, the Asus Zenfone 8 series came out this week, and that's kind of an interesting phone. Hey, have you checked out uh, Richard Lai's article? I mean, how could I not, right? He's one of my colleagues. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting phone, you know, and I think the question I have is, and I'm for you specifically, is, I mean... Are we, you know, as much as we love to kind of celebrate these phones that are compact uh, and have headphone jacks, I feel like the market has moved on, right? Unfortunately so, right? And Yeah, yeah, to some extent, for sure. You know, and there's just um, really no place for these phones anymore, which is a shame, right? Because, you know, I miss the days of like kind of the droids, the original droids, right? Where Android was so creative, right? Like the milestone, what we call the milestone in Canada was just like such a wild and wacky phone. Um, And, you know, markets will do this. They will kind of centralize around the kind of quote unquote best, right? Or what consumers want. And there's just not a lot of creativity. And it's nice for all of its seemingly like seeming flaws with the new Asus. Uh, it is something a bit different, at least. Yeah, the way I feel about it is I'm kind of a mixed bag in a way. Like mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, I think there's the narrative that says that there's no innovation in smartphones and variety is is flawed. In my opinion, there is mm-hmm. a lot of variety and, and innovation. Mm-hmm. It is true that our use of phones have radically changed since the milestone, aka Droid, mm-hmm. in the sense that we do a lot more work on our phones than we used to. Yeah. And real estate has become a thing. Mm-hmm. And for better or for worse, I do feel that our phones are often too big mm-hmm. in the absolute. Like it's hard to reach the top, whatever, you have to use them two-handed. But the reality is once I go back to a smaller phone, like for me last year, that was the Pixel 4a and the Pixel 5 mostly. Mm-hmm. I feel it's not what I need. Like it, I feel like something is missing. And so I'm not saying that folks shouldn't have the option. I think they should. Mm-hmm. But I can understand why the manufacturers are not providing that option. Right. You know, big phones are particularly popular in Asia. 
and most of the phone manufacturers are based in Asia. So, you know, that's another thing. But look, you know, we're seeing quite a bit of variety in this. In this case here, you have the the flip camera that's still there on the flip model. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen we're seeing folding phones. You know, I've got a Vivo X60 Pro Plus here in my pocket mm-hmm. with a crazy gimbal camera on it. And, you know, I mean, they're still mostly the same slabs of glass and plastic and metal that mostly do the same thing. But I still think there's enough going on to keep things going. And to me, Asus, I think, is in a good position to make this Zenfone 8, the the small phone, Mm -hmm. because they're a niche player. Like they subsidize essentially their mobile division through their laptops and other products in the same way as Sony did with the Xperia minis back in the day. In the same way as to some extent Apple is doing with the iPhone 12 mini subsidizing it with the 12 and 12 pro and 12 pro max. Right Mm -hmm. now, is that worth them doing long term? I don't have the answer for that. Clearly for Sony, it wasn't the case, but you could argue that the Xperia 5 series is the new mini because Mm -hmm. it is significantly smaller than the bigger one. And, you know, Google clearly is still playing in the kind of small phone realm. In my opinion, for me, as I've said on the show multiple times in the last six, seven months since the Pixel 5, since I reviewed it for hot hardware, I didn't switch over to that phone you know, being a traditionally a Pixel and Nexus user because it's too small for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I would much rather have a Pixel 4a 5G in terms of real estate. Mm-hmm. However, I'm missing wireless charging on that phone, yeah. which is for me a deal breaker. I don't, like a headphone jack is nice. I can live without it. The water resistance is nice. I can live without it. The ni- the high refresh rate is really nice. I really like it, but I can again live without it if I have to. Mm-hmm. But when I look at this Zenfone 8 and Zenfone 8 Flip, for me, what stands out is... Kudos to Asus for trying something in the small phone space, but not making too many compromises. The the only one that stands out for me really is no wireless charging. And I've actually mm-hmm. asked Asus about this and they responded that they'd rather have a larger battery capacity than give up that thickness for wireless charging. And I can see where they're coming from, but I think they're flawed in their reasoning here because it's only a 4,000 milliamp hour battery. And today that's barely acceptable for a flagship. So you could say, you could argue now that, yeah, they needed all the space they could get for that 4,000 milliamp hour battery. But I would argue that they should have made the phone slightly thicker and stuck wireless charging in there too. You know, Apple has wireless charging on the 12 mini and, and, you know, Google has wireless charging on the Pixel 5. Mm -hmm. So that I think would have been as a niche product, a much more compelling package mm-hmm. since it is essentially a flagship in smaller form factor to be able to say we have everything, including the headphone jack. Mm-hmm. That then you'd have been able to say, oh my God, look at this. This is like the perfect niche phone, but here you kind of have to hold back. And you know, I kind of a bit bummed by the lack of telephoto, right? Like, I mean, again, if Sony can put a telephoto in the Xperia 5 Mark II and Mark III, apparently, we haven't seen those phones yet, but... You know, why Why can't Asus? And then conversely on the 8 Flip, it feels a little cheap to me maybe mm-hmm. to take the 7 Pro from last year or the 7 or whatever it was and just change, you know, the SoC from an 865 to an 888 mm-hmm. and then go from a side mount fingerprint sensor to a end display. That's really the only difference. They still don't have OIS on the main sensor on that phone, mm-hmm. yet they have OIS on the on the small phone. Like it's just so weird to me. Mm-hmm. Like how do they make these decisions? You know, I guess the tooling for manufacturing the Flip Pod mm-hmm. is probably very expensive to modify to put a new module with OIS in there. I get that, 
but it feels half-assed to me, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like you knew from the reviews last year that we complain of the lack of OIS, yet you decided to continue with that. Yeah, I mean, I imagine maybe partly this has to do with product development cycles, right? And it's like, how far out are these changes planned, right? Um, and they, it might be something they have planned for next year and, you know, they're retooling the factories, as you said, to accommodate those changes. But um, it's just not one of those kind of TikTok or uh, one of those enhancements that they can implement within the kind of talk uh, cycle of the uh, product lifespan. No, I get that. I'm just demanding. It's my job as a journalist. <laughs> of course, you know, of course. I, yeah. I, I just, honestly, this is the thing I have a hard time with, Asus. Regardless of the size and what's missing, there's a few things missing, like wireless mm. charging and the OIS on the bigger phone, the one with the flip. Those in themselves are not big deals. Mm-hmm. I cannot place where they're going marketing-wise with this mm-hmm. because they are affordably priced flagships, relatively mm-hmm. speaking. The pricing is right, mm-hmm. but then it's kind of like the OnePlus 9 series, right? Especially the 9, the base 9, where they didn't put OIS. Like, you don't do that when your Nord that costs half the price right. or two-thirds of the price has OIS. Or last year's equivalent, the AT had OIS. Like, y- there are some things you just don't remove like that, not when you have an 888 on board. Like, if you have a 765 on board, I'd be like, okay, I don't like it. But I'll, I'll I'll see where you're going here. You're kind of trying to be premium mid range. I get it. Mm-hmm. But when you, as soon as you put an eight series chip, you're you're telling the world we're not messing about. So stop messing about. Mm-hmm. Like where's the stuff we need? Where's the wireless charging? Where's the OIS? Where's the like the headphone jack is no longer a flagship stake. Even though I want one, mm-hmm. I can live without it. It's no longer accepted as a flagship stake. But these other things, to me, should be there. And to add to that, you know, also there is something to be said about so much of a phone, your experience of a phone in 2021 is the camera, right? And if there is a place that you should not cut cost on, it's the camera, right? And um, to take OIS, which I think in the context of a smartphone is like such a critical component to the quality of the camera, right? There's, I think Google has consistently proven that as great as you can develop software, to assist the camera, yep. it only goes so far, right? Like photos are, there's just these physics involved with taking photos that you can't get around, right? Like no matter yeah. what kind of witchcraft you employ, right? And I think we've seen that really consistently in, as I said, in Google's phones where like, you know, they've been using the same 12 megapixel sensor on literally every phone since the Pixel 3 <laughs> yeah, or much, perhaps yeah. even the Pixel 2. And you're seeing the limits of that. And converse, or um, in much the same way, you're seeing those same limits when a manufacturer, like you said, decides not to include OIS. I mean, it's not a huge deal, right? But mm-hmm. I feel like you see how much softer the pictures are in low light immediately on the OnePlus 9 versus, you know, the 8 Pro last year, which had the same sensor with OIS. Mm-hmm. You see the softness. And I bet you it's the same thing here. And I feel that you're right. Like, I feel like pixel size fast lenses like you know optical stabilization there's some there's some things you do not want to mess with right mm-hmm. and you want to thrive to have the best performance on these things because even though you can throw a lot of computational photography at it you still need to start with a solid base right right and what we're seeing a lot right now is either almost too much computational prowess but not enough hardware like 
mm-hmm. like the pixels or we're seeing the reverse we're seeing like crazy large sensors like the gn2 on the mi 11 ultra or mm-hmm. the uh you know the crazy 108 megapixel sensors on the galaxy s21 ultra and those are great but the computational know-how there is not quite there mm-hmm. you know it's not it's lagging compared to so what i want to see is either google with the pixel 5a and 6 upcoming improve the hardware that they use as a base mm-hmm. or i want to see you know what we saw with huawei and the p40 pro plus where strangely the telephoto the 10x and the 3x as well have a 8 megapixel sensor that seems pretty vanilla mm-hmm. yet it outputs 12 megapixel photos mm-hmm. that are superb in low light way more way better in low light than what you'd expect given the specs and the reason that is happening is because they're using their main sensor to computationally augment what that tiny little 8 megapixel sensor is doing mm-hmm. in zooming in low light And it's kind of crazy that they're blending basically multiple inputs from sensors. Like we keep hearing about Qualcomm and the 888 having three ISPs, you know. That's the kind of blending we need to see. Samsung is not blending on the S21 Ultra as far as I know. Mm -hmm. It's like crazy to me that with all their know-how, with this phenomenal 108 megapixel sensor in terms of hardware, they're not doing that to augment the telephoto. Yeah, and I also think part of the problem is, you know, camera fan or sorry, phone manufacturers are not in many cases camera manufacturers, right? You know, with the exception right. of Sony, right? Uh, and then even Sony, um, I somewhat hesitate to call it a camera manufacturer, right? Um, because it's yeah. more of a technology company than anything, an electronics manufacturer, right? But all of that to say yep. is, you know, I almost never, unless it's to kind of share a snap, I almost never use camera on my phone i much prefer taking pictures with my fuji film um and i hate to be one of those guys but because i feel like <laughs> cameras or uh smartphone cameras still really don't nail so many of the basics you know the color science right the metering um and these things um like i think really separate some of the best cameras from some of the worst cameras um and to my mind you know like there's really only like google and apple kind of nail those basics consistently Mm -hmm. um and everyone else is kind of like you know the colors either don't really look they're like oversaturated or over sharpened or you know Mm -hmm. and um i really want to see from these uh smartphone makers a kind of return to basics right before piling on like you know it superimposes uh ai image of the moon to make it look brighter or stuff right like that, yeah right. right there's that story <laughs> right so there are no 100 percent. i feel though that they're aware of it like the fact that oneplus partnered with hasselblad is an example i think mm-hmm. their, their intent is to get better color science mm-hmm. it hasn't quite gotten there yet but it will eventually i'm confident it will mm-hmm. um same with huawei and the like i think the huawei leica partnership has paid off already in terms mm-hmm. of color science and oppo as well i don't know you if you get these phones in your hands but the oppo Find x3 pro this year Mm-hmm. is a masterpiece of a phone. Mm-hmm. Like every time I go back to using I'm like, this is really the phone I should be rocking as my main phone to replace my OnePlus 8 Pro. Mm-hmm. But I can't because it barely does 4G in the US. Like it, mm-hmm. it does sometimes gives me LTE on T-Mobile, but most of the time I'm stuck in HSPA Plus, oh. which is bad. And this is a 5G phone, never mind 5G. I don't even see that. So yeah. 
So that's the challenge, right? It's like, to me, you know, I've, I've talked about this on the show extensively. It, it's a disappointment somewhat in sense that the Find X2 Pro the previous year had a 5X periscope telephoto that was really, really good. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this one only has a 2X telephoto. But I feel that what they have on the phone now on the, on the Find X3 Pro is really solid in terms of imaging, like across the board, like the ultra wide and the the main camera use the same sensor which means that the color science is perfectly matched mm -hmm. and it's not this oversaturated over sharpened color science it's like they don't have a partnership with anybody specific but i can tell that they've been really working like you just get the kind of shots out of it that you get out of a nice point and shoot mm -hmm. from like fuji or you know like from panasonic or something mm -hmm. and it's just delightful and that's the thing. I think it's changing. I think people are getting there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, I think we're also, you know, seeing them just kind of deliver more sensible camera packages, right? Like where it's like, yes, it's the choice of lenses is sensible, right? The choice of uh, sensors is also sensible. And I think for a long time, um, there was just a lot of just like they were doing really weird things. So many manufacturers, right? Oh my God, yeah. yeah. I think you go through that phase and you kind of stabilize at a place. And that's kind of why I get a little butt hurt when I mm. see the lack of OIS. I'm like, you've already learned this lesson. Right, right. Like we've already gone over this a few years ago. Do you really need to revisit this just to cut like a dollar or two on your BOM? Like yeah. get the F out of here. Like not acceptable, okay? Not when you make a flagship acceptable when you make a mid-range phone but yeah. not at flagship level i mean this reminds me sorry for the history trip but this reminds me of the nexus 6p when google yeah. made such a big deal of like we don't need ois <laughs> 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 anyway yeah they did that with the original pixel as well and i'm just like i remember tweeting at google mm -hmm. a, a photo i took on an airplane you know it was i was in business class on one of the Asian airlines and they have a starry sky on the ceiling. It's fiber optic. Mm -hmm. So it's really cool at night. You know, they, they go through mm -hmm. that phase of like daytime and then they dim the lights into oh, a sunrise okay. with the LEDs. And then, then the sky lights up and it's all basically like stars, but it's all done through fiber optic. Mm -hmm. And there was a bit of turbulence at, at the time. And I tried to capture the stars with my pixel. Mm -hmm. And it was when the pixel just came out, I was flying back from Hong Kong and I couldn't get a clear shot because there was not too much motion from the turbulence, but just enough that, you know, it opened the shutter so long that I'd get a blur. Right. And then I pulled out something like a Galaxy or something or an iPhone that had OIS and I nailed the shot. Mm -hmm. Right. And I put it side by side on a tweet. I'm like, this is why you put OIS on your phones, Google. Like, mm -hmm. look at how much brighter overall the picture is with your computational awesomeness, mm -hmm. yet I can't get a clear shot simply because I can't open the shutter short enough to get a clear shot because you decide to save $3 on removing OIS from that sensor that you had prior, you know? Yeah. It's like, what the F? So this this is going to be an ongoing thing for me, my raves yeah. and rants about cameras and especially around the lack of OIS. But this is why I was like, 
I was really hoping the 8 Flip this year, the Zenfone, would have like just remedied that one thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't really care. They could have kept the sign mounted fingerprint sensor. I don't need the in display. No, I understand that they had to go to an 888 because that's, you know, 10 stakes at this point, right? But then the Zenfone 8, they have OIS and so good for them. But then they don't have wireless charging. And I live in a world where I do wireless charging all the time. And mm-hmm. I can't wean myself off of it anymore. So mm-hmm. I just, again, find it weird that wireless charging is still considered like this optional thing. I mean, I want to see it on $200 phones, never mind flagships, where it's sometimes still missing. Like, mm-hmm. to me, it should be par for the course, like it is for Apple and Samsung. I mean, almost every Samsung and Apple phone that's 500 and more has it. I don't know if all the Galaxy A series do, but mm-hmm. I bet you some of them do. Mm-hmm. And the S series, all of them do, even the F, the fan edition. So, I mean, how hard could it be? Like, mm-hmm. You know, and OnePlus learned that lesson. They finally put one wireless charging on the 9. The 9 Pro obviously has it because the 8 Pro had it, but mm-hmm. it's nice to see. Switching gears, I want to talk a little bit about the Realme 8 5G. I just got it yesterday. The embargo lifted. Uh, like I basically got it right after the embargo lifted. Jerks. So I just made a quick, <laughs> I made a quick unboxing video, and I'll I'll put it in the show notes. And it's really puzzling to me this phone. Like I don't know if you've been following the Realme mm-hmm. saga, but they have become OnePlus essentially. Like mm-hmm. you know they're a BBK group company, and it all comes back to BBK. <laughs> yeah, it always does. I mean you know Oppo and Vivo. I, you know we've talked about a few of their phones already, but it's interesting to me that when I reviewed the Realme Seven 5G last year in December, or mm-hmm. November December, I also had around the same time the OnePlus Nord N10 5G to review. Mm -hmm. And what was stunning to me was how much OnePlus had strayed from their formula and messed up the N10 5G Mm -hmm. and how much the Realme 7 5G was the phone we wanted the Nord N10 5G to be from the (laughs) same company, you know, the BBK group. So at the time, I said, of course, you can buy this phone here, but you won't get 5G, so... You know, obviously you want to get the OnePlus if 5G matters to you. But in every way, the Realme 7 5G was more affordable and a better phone all around. Yes. In every way. And so I was like, this is basically what, in my opinion, this is when the tipping point happened where I felt like OnePlus is kind of maybe going down market, but they're just kind of, it's branding at this point more than anything. Whereas Realme is really trying because they're very active in India to deliver the best bang for the buck in terms of specs still, right? Mm -hmm. And so the 7 5G, the reason I'm bringing it up in the context of the 8 5G is that, you know, 7 5G comes out and it's a great phone, Dimensity 800 from MediaTek, 5G phone, you know, 48 megapixel main camera that didn't suck, 8 megapixel ultra wide, 30 watt fast charging, 120 hertz, 1080p IPS panel Mm -hmm. for about 220 or so pounds slash euros, okay? Mm -hmm. Really amazing for the spec sheet, right? Real money as opposed to Canadian money, yes. So you're thinking the Realme 8 5G is coming along, it's going to take this and crank it up another notch, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Nope. nope. No, completely no. Same price-ish for the for the same RAM configuration, 6 gig, 128. It's about the same price as you can now buy the Realme 7 5G for. And you lose the 120 hertz, you go down to 90. Mm-hmm. You lose the Dimensity 800, you go down to the 700. 
you lose the 30 watt charging, you go down to 18 watt charging, and you completely lose the eight megapixel ultra wide, it's gone. So mm-hmm. you don't have an ultra wide anymore. I don't understand the strategy here. The number is higher in the series, right? Mm-hmm. And progress should be happening. The price is roughly the same. And I think part of it is because the 7 5G is now a few months old, so it's cheaper, mm-hmm. right? But nonetheless, why would you buy the 8 5G when you can just get everything slightly better for the same price from the same company from a few months ago? Like, I don't get this phone at all. Like, I do not understand it. The only thing that makes sense to me is that there is a 4 gigabyte, 64 gigabyte version Mm -hmm. that sells for a measly 179 pounds or euros, Mm -hmm. which at that point is essentially the cheapest 5G phone on the market. Mm -hmm. And so as such, good for them, but why didn't they call it something else, like the Realme 8 5G Lite or something? Because this is lacking so many of the features that made the previous series so compelling mm-hmm. that I felt like Realme was headed into replacing OnePlus, but in the kind of affordable market and just along the way, just completely shot their foot off, like boom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will say, I think, you know, sometimes we have to remember that these phones aren't necessarily made for the end consumer, right? Um, they're made right. to sell, you know, for carriers and stuff. And uh, I hate to, you know, kind of, especially when it comes to 5G. Now, it, you know, the review you sent me, uh, which was really great, uh, I was on uh, Android Police, you know, they were talking about how, you know, 5G is not even a thing in India right? Yeah, exactly. And they're selling these 5G phones there. Right. Um, And, you know, it got me thinking about, and sorry, again, listeners to bring it back to the Pixel family. But, you know, um, the crazy thing to me is um, when the Pixel 5 and 4a 5G came out, what was a pleasant surprise in Canada was that it was the kind of exchange rate. um, It was more favorable, or if you just looked at the price of the phone based on the exchange rate, Google was selling it at a very favorable rate. But what it came down to was that the Canadian model didn't have millimeter wave, right? And in the US, Google had to include millimeter wave for Verizon, right? And that also- Well, they chose to because they also have a millimeter wave version of the 4A 5G, and that's mm. a separate SKU that is $100 more. more. So right. they could have actually made a 5 that was millimeter wave less and sold it for $100 less. And in my review, I said, that's what's wrong with it. The price is wrong. It's a great phone. It's too small for me, but the price is wrong. Right. But all of that to say, you know, so much of these decisions when it comes to particularly 5G, because it is a networking standard and so many of these carriers are trying to build out these networks and trying to sell consumers on 5G, whether the benefits of it are real or not, right? Mm -hmm. Come down to carriers, right? And ultimately for companies, maybe less so with Realme, but more so, you know, with North American manufacturers, their their client is not you, the consumer, it is carriers. Yeah, of course. Right? Um, and yeah. so I think that's something you just have to keep in mind with this phone in particular. It's about, you know, moving people, you know, but I will say the weird thing about this phone, especially, and is like, you know, 5G in buying a phone with 5G, you're quote unquote future proofing your phone, right? Or right. future proofing your purchase, excuse me. Um, and yet this phone is probably only going to get one major version of Android. 
<laughs> yeah, like a lot of the Chinese phones. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing, right? Yeah. I, I don't even bring it up anymore because it's like a given. Like, I now write about the fact that if it's going to get more than one or two updates, then I actually mention it because mm -hmm. that's, you know, I, I agree that it should be the default, but it's not the reality we live in. Mm -hmm. And for this price, at this price point, 179 pounds for four gig, 64 gigabyte, you know, version, it's almost disposable, at least to us here in North America. Now, I know this is primarily sold to India, where the customer is really the end user, not so much the right. carrier, since they don't have 5G. That's why I'm a little puzzled by the cutting of features on a newer model of the same phone. Mm -hmm. And I'm also a bit puzzled by the, we're selling it super cheap, but we're not going to get updates. Because in that market, you know, it's price sensitive. People want to keep their phones for a right. while because they can't afford a flagship necessarily. So mm -hmm. it's a little weird to me what Realme is doing here. I'm not saying it's a bad phone in the absolute. It's an okay phone. Mm -hmm. It feels really nice. It does what it's you know says on the box. I just feel like it's just such a weird positioning. Mm -hmm. And I've actually reached out to Realme as I mentioned in my unboxing video and said, hey, can you explain the marketing here? Can you explain the position of this phone when you consider that the previous model is now attainable? for roughly the same price mm -hmm. and has more features like why should i buy the new one mm -hmm. did they answer no not yet <laughs> i mean they said they would get back to me though i think you know the pr people have to ask the right. headquarters and in china yeah yeah i mean i think there is also something to be said about like bbk where it is right now and i think it is you know there's just like in that company it feels like there's no really space for kind of that like one plus type company that is actually doing like ultimately it comes down to like pushing volume right with that company right because i think most people yeah. don't know that like bbk is bigger in terms of like smartphone sales is way bigger than huawei right <laughs> like you know yeah for you, sure yeah. you know and it, it on a in a good year it's probably as good or better than samsung right like um, yep. when you put together all of its subsidiaries, right? Um, and it's interesting that kind of like, you know, uh, the like IDC and these, they never put these companies together and they just kind of treat them as separate entities. Oh, it's just weird. Right? Um, and I, I think it paints the wrong picture. But ultimately, yeah, like I think, I mean, again, as I'm making this point, it occurs to me like, how do you how does within that context of pushing as much volume as possible why would you release a phone like this that is less compelling than its previous you know and that's why i asked them i'm like if you had named this differently as a you know an entry level 5g the most basically this is the most affordable 5g phone when we're making it yeah. i would have said okay great yeah but then this is just it's just puzzling uh speaking of other mediatek phones that came out this week infinix has launched the note 10 pro which is a 4g phone with a helio g95 mm -hmm. so it's got a bit of a gaming slant to it primarily because of that Helio G95, but also 90 hertz, 1080p panel. It's 6.95 inches. Mm -hmm. Insanity. It's massive. Yeah. It's huge. 180 hertz refresh on the touch. So uh, obviously for gamers, this is uh, like it's 259 US dollars. So I think this is a pretty good setup. Like for if you want to play games and get, uh, you know, kind of like a gaming optimized chipset that's 4g mm -hmm. and uh it's got a 64 megapixel main camera that's not great but not horrible perfectly usable the low light is pretty decent on it because it's a dedicated low light 
augmentation sensor, like one of those two megapixel sticker cams, like I call them. But this one actually does something useful. Mm -hmm. There's a macro as well. The macro is actually the ultra-wide. The ultra-wide has autofocus on this 259 phone. That's wild. That doubles as a macro. Like when I started using it, I thought like there's four cameras in the back. So I thought there's a main and an ultra-wide. And then I thought, well, one of them is going to be a macro and the other one's got to be a depth, right? Mm -hmm. Logically, no, no, that's not what it is at all. There's a 64 megapixel main and eight megapixel ultra-wide that doubles as a macro because it has autofocus. And then there's two two megapixel sensors. One is for depth mm -hmm. and one is for this black and white augmentation. For basically, it's just a black and white sensor that captures low light to augment the computational oomph of the main sensor and it pays off. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually pretty surprised. It's not gonna you know win any awards, but... It, for the money, is decent. Big battery. It doesn't have NFC. There's a version with NFC, but the one they sent me did not have NFC. No wireless charging, but 30 watt. <laughs> Sorry. I don't expect wireless charging there. That's why you're laughing. I know. Yeah. But 30 watt wired. Look, I mean, for 259 bucks, it's good. The problem is, is these phones are primarily sold in Africa and South America. Right. And we're probably not going to see this phone in the US. But check out my unboxing video. I'll put it in the show notes. I just am excited to see that a lot of the stuff that we were expecting to pay like 300 plus dollars for just even six months ago is now down to like 250. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you saw the video. It's not a bad package. It's big. I mean, I think the thing I was most, so the things that threw me about that phone was one, the sticker that you had to peel off. I loved how in the box you had the specs on the box, you open the box, right. and then there's a sticker with the specs yet again on the phone. Uh, but beyond that, like it, I was like shocked how good that phone looks, right? Like it looks great, right? Even though it's all plastic, it actually feels great too, which is right. pretty amazing. I mean, and granted, you know, like I'm kind of experiencing it through your video. And so I don't, you know, it is very much a transformational experience to hold the phone, right? Like until you yeah. uh, have it in your hands, you can't really like, you know, it's one thing to say it's like 6.9 inches, this this display. And a, it's really and big. And a, another thing to like hold it in your hands and being like, like, what were they thinking, right? Um, well, I think they were thinking gaming phone, essentially, on a budget, yeah. you know? Uh, I mean, I will say, you know, granted, this is a phone that is, you know, as you said, for uh, the African market and stuff. But I, I'm not really sold on this concept of, like, Android gaming phones, because I think ultimately the best gaming phone is an iPhone, if only because of the kind of games that come to the iPhone first. Or just don't come yeah. to Android at all, right? Uh, but yeah, and, and then you put a controller, one of those like the Razer one or whatever uh, that has, you know, that gives you all the controls and holds your phone snugly in the middle. Yes, and perfection. I don't even think you need shoulder buttons at that point. You're you're done, right? Like yeah. I'm very much like you, but I do have to say that the amount of interest I'm seeing, especially writing for Hot Hardware part of my time, yeah. where you know they're they're focused on a lot of gaming stuff. The interest I'm seeing from hardcore gamers around specific gaming phones like the ROG Phone 5 and even like the Red Magic 6. I just got a review in it. I don't have enough time under my belt to really talk much about it. But mm -hmm. like, it's interesting to me that I thought this was going to be a fad, but it's sticking around. Right. And I think, um, you know, but I think where the ROG Phone and the Redmi have an advantage is you know, the ROG phone is kind of a known quantity and there are actually developers who are going to optimize 
their games yeah. for these devices, right? Um, and where some mm-hmm. of these, it's one thing to have a 90 hertz display, but it's no good to you unless, you know, they put plug in the code to take advantage of that, right? Um, and that's where- Speaking of, by the way, yes. the Red Magic 6 has a 165 hertz display. So get out of here, okay? Yeah, that <laughs> is- crazy, like, I don't even know why they're bothering. Who supports it? Yeah, right. And, you know, and I think that's kind of, unfortunately, still the state we are in the Android market, which is it's a lot of this, like, can we fill out this spec sheet to make it look good? And not thinking ahead to the kind of holistic experience of like, yeah, sure, we can put in a 165 hertz display. But if we can't convince Epic to optimize Fortnite for this, what's the point? (laughs) Right? You know? Yeah, but you see, I think the counterpoint to what you were saying around the iPhone being the best gaming phone mm-hmm. is that it doesn't have a more than 60 hertz refresh, and that actually makes a difference for gamers. Gamers mm-hmm. tell me all the time, the touch sample rate and the display refresh rate are really critical to them. Mm-hmm. So this will be addressed with the iPhone 13, where we get 120 hertz. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty confident we will. And then I think your point will be made. But I think until then, I mean, there is an opportunity for Android gaming phones to be a thing, mm-hmm. especially the ones like the Lenovo Legion that have the actual f- shoulder buttons are physical. They're not mm-hmm. capacitive like on the Red Magic or the Asus ROG. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, like if you're going to put shoulder buttons, like, come on, mm-hmm. give me clicky, give me like even analog progressive shoulder buttons. Otherwise, I might as well just use one of those, as you said, like the Razer or whatever, that accessory that clamps my phone mm-hmm. and gives me actual controls because, you know, it's a little bulky, but I'd carry that around if I was a hardcore gamer for sure. Yeah. I want to switch gears because I don't want to run out of time, but I want to talk <laughs> about Moto. You wrote an article for Engadget about this. You know, we've heard about this remote wireless charging where instead of being on a pad or like sitting on a surface, you actually can be a few feet away from the wireless charger and magically your phone charges. You know, Xiaomi did a demo recently. Moto did a demo a while back. Mm -hmm. But like, what do you make of this announcement? This is a little puzzling to me. So can I just say, when you first sent me the show notes, I was thinking, why would Miriam want to talk of all the things I wrote this week, of all the beautiful articles I wrote? Why... (laughs) That they want to talk about this, right? And now <laughs> it all makes sense. Wireless, this is the evolution of wireless charging you've been waiting for, right? Um, yeah. But to answer your question, it is an especially strange announcement coming from Moto, which, you know, yes, it has the Razer, yes, it has the Edge Plus, but really it's, you know, like wheelhouse. The Edge Plus is the only phone I think they make that has wireless charging right now, actually. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, like it's wheelhouse is like the Moto Ones and Moto Gs and Moto Es of the world, right? Exactly, yeah. None of these phones. Mid-range. Yeah, Yeah. like these are phones where it's like, yeah, like Moto, get get on it and try to put wireless charging into these phones. And they're here like, no, 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 no. We're going to the next step remote wireless charging, right? Um, and I, I, this, you know, so I think of any company that has really talked about this, Xiaomi has kind of put the best foot forward and it's actually shown yep. off a demo and is like, we have these patents and we, you know, this is the work we've done. But I still don't, like, I really, like, don't get the appeal of this, right? Like, like charging your phone remotely at five watts sounds like 
Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm much more on board with, you know, what we're seeing, the trend we're seeing with Chinese manufacturers mm-hmm. at the flagship level, like 60-watt wireless, 50-watt wireless. Right. Like, to me, fast charging has changed the way I use my phones. I no longer charge overnight. Yes. I charge on demand. But because I do have a lot of wireless chargers around, and my car has one as well, mm-hmm. that's primarily the reason I like wireless charging, honestly, is I hop in my sure. Tesla, I put it down, and it charges, and I don't have to worry about it. It's slow, it's 10 watt or whatever, it's fine though, mm-hmm. because it gives me, on a road trip, gives me just that trickle charge I need to keep the phone up and running and happy, you know? Yeah. But then I don't have to fiddle with cables, you know? It's just it's just nice. I have also a charging stand, a Pixel charging stand on my desk, and actually I've replaced it with the OnePlus one since I have a OnePlus 8 Pro now. Mm-hmm. But for the longest time, I had the Pixel stand here on my desk, and it's just nice to just plop it down. But honestly, it's the, the fast thing that's really making it work for me the 30 watt wireless on the my older oneplus 8 pro the 50 watt on the oneplus 9 pro the 30 watt on the oppo fine x3 pro that works for me but like a few feet away like what you're talking about it's like yeah why especially at five watt as you said like five watt seriously and also i will say you know i think there's a very important point, which is, um, you know, you say you charge your phones now on demand as opposed to overnight. And I think that is like the secret to having a phone that lasts you for a while, right? And not having to replace that battery. Because the worst thing for you sure. can do for your phone is just idle it at 100% as you're prone to do when you leave it to charge overnight, right? And so mm-hmm. I... I mean, there's so many unanswered questions with this technology, right? Like they, it's one thing to talk about it in kind of theory, but completely another, like we haven't seen any of the kind of like practical application of how it would work. And that for me, is just like, you know, what is the user experience of this? Like, will it just like top up your phone and keep it topped up? You know, like um, I have to kind of see it in practice. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so weird for it to be a moto thing here in yeah. this case. Like, you know, it's just so like off script for them. Right. I'm not saying they shouldn't do it. I'm on board. I mean, they do have a lot of expertise with wireless. This is moto. They, you know, are one of the innovators in the space in general. They worked very closely with Qualcomm and Verizon on 5G back in the day. So, you know, yeah, I believe that they, if anybody has the chops, they do, but it just doesn't fit in their image and their marketing very well, right? And let it be said that, like, weird moto is the best moto, right? <laughs> Always. I mean, weird any phone company, in my opinion, is the best phone company. Right. Because it might be a little off in left field, but it just brings goodness to things. I want to wrap things up with the MacBook Air rumors. You and I are both Mac users, yes. at least partially. And I, you know, bought an M1 Air not very long ago, like back in November when it was announced. And let's just cut to the chase. There are rumors of a new MacBook Air coming at some point that has the industrial design and aesthetic of the new iMac 24, meaning white is grayish. It's gray, technically grayish bezels, pastel colors, and potentially a grayish matching whitish matching keyboard Mm -hmm. and some people are freaking out and are horrified right now personally i like what i saw on the 24 inch imac Mm -hmm. for its intended audience it makes sense to me and it's a nod to the you know colorful imacs of days past and i get it Mm -hmm. and you know again it's like apple being weird good stuff Mm -hmm. but i i'm on board with this air like how do you feel (sighs) 
so conflicted, right? One, I love the design, yeah, you know, and I really do want, you know, a return to kind of the fun Apple of, of like the Steve Jobs era. But conversely, I also want like a return of the practical Apple of the Steve Jobs era, right? And, you know, one of the things, yeah. there's a lot of things about the iMac that kind of, this new iMac that just really like kind of, I'm like, you guys were so, so close and yet so far, right? And it's like the port situation, right? Like, mm-hmm. why yep. do you need to upgrade to the more expensive SKU to get USB-A, right? <laughs> you know, and it's like... Or, or to get or to get the Ethernet on the power brick or to get the Touch ID on the keyboard. Right, like these are all like, you know, a computer more so than your smartphone is like a very practical thing, right? And it should be kind of designed in a way to make it as practical as possible. And I think why so many people still so fondly remember, you know, the 2015 MacBook Air is for, it was kind of the perfect computer in many ways, right? Yes, it was like, you know, the display was just good enough. Like it had a good mix of ports. It had a good mix of power. And then kind of Apple lost its way with the 2018 MacBook Air, right? It was like really underpowered, right? Like those Intel chips uh, just weren't doing any favors for that computer, right? And they, you know, the keyboard, obviously, you know, we're not, if we get into the butterfly keyboard, this will be another podcast. I think the audience Mm. is well aware. We've talked about it before. Right. So um, anyway, all of that to say, like, you know, we haven't seen, I think, the most important parts of this computer in this Prozer leak, right? Like the ports, right? And how this, whatever this MagSafe situation will work, how will it work, right? Yeah. Like I have so many questions about that because I think, you know, I know people are nostalgic for MagSafe, but in a yeah. lot of ways, USB-C is a much better solution because it is a standardized solution, right? It's like, exactly. you know, it is, um, you only need one. I'm okay with a proprietary MagSafe of any kind, mm-hmm. as long as there's also the ability to charge over USB-C, yes. which I think they will do. I think they're going to do it. They're going to do dual mode. Yeah. A lot of laptops are like that right now. So, yeah. So I think, yeah, as long as, I mean, as long as they do that, and I know hoping for an SD card reader is like crazy talk. I think on an, <laughs> on an Air, yeah. it's unlikely. Yeah. I think the next gen pros, I think the 16 inch MacBook pros, mm-hmm. there's very strong rumors we're going to see SD back and I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case right. because they've listened. If we've learned anything from Apple in the last couple of years, it, they're actually listening to their customers. Right. Yeah. So, And you know, one of the most distinct memories I have of one of our interactions is when we were in uh, Hawaii for a previous uh, Snapdragon summit, and you talked to, right. we talked about our love for Max, right? And how hard <laughs> it was to see, like, just like in some sense, you know, for some of us, like the Mac is a more important product in Apple's lineage than the iPhone, right? Yeah, and, for sure. And yeah. to see the company kind of just like lose sight of what made the Mac so great for so long was really hard to see, right? And so I'm tentatively hopeful that the company kind of gets back to making both really like stylish and practical computers because, you know, computers are great, right? Like they let you do so much and they should be a reflection of that. Yeah, for sure. Look, I have good feelings about this. I think that we have to remember that the MacBook Air is a consumer product, not the product that you and I want. Sure. 
and that as such the same thing applies to the iMac 24 that I hope the iMac 27 or 30 or whatever mm -hmm. resolves that, you know, the port things. And and honestly, I don't have a problem if I want to go crazy with the colors on an iMac, you know, a larger iMac or even the MacBook Pro. Mm -hmm. But I think they do also have to, uh, you know, address the existing MacBook design. Mm -hmm. They got to give us the colors we're used to already, right? Like that's going to need to happen. Yeah. But listen, uh, we should wrap it up, Igor. Do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet, all the various social media handles and whatever else? Obviously, there's Engadget. but Yeah, so if you've not heard of this site, it's Engadget.com. And you can find me at uh, Igor Bonifacic. That's I-G-O-R-B-O-N-I-F-A-C-I-C at Twitter.com. Um, and that's, I mean, I'm not a prolific tweeter by any means, but sometimes I will have lukewarm takes about certain things. <laughs> I like that. Lukewarm takes. Yeah, you folks should definitely read Igor and Engadget. Good stuff. And folks, you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, both on Instagram and on Twitter. If you want to talk about the podcast, tweet at me and Igor, and we'll answer your questions about this show. If you want to see pretty pictures taken with phones and pretty pictures of phones, go to my Instagram. And there are two YouTube channels you should subscribe to that are related to this podcast. YouTube.com slash Mobile Tech Podcast, which is the main channel, has a lot of unboxing videos, some reviews, some hands-ons, that kind of stuff. But it's mostly specifically focused on mobile devices and mobile tech. And then we have Mobile Tech More, which is YouTube.com slash Mobile Tech More. And that's a new channel that my producer and I are developing. So please subscribe. There's not a lot of content there. But we're going to try to do like things like travel tech, home automation stuff, all the peripheral things, all the weird battery packs and things that I get sent that are kind of fun but different. It's all going to go there. So please subscribe. Help us bring the subscriber count up so that we can get rolling on that. Also, the podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. If you want to subscribe the old way, you can do that. There's an RSS feed there. But we're on all the big platforms, basically. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, if you want to subscribe, that's where you should go. And if your app supports rating or reviewing the show, please consider doing that. It helps with discovery, so that's a nice thing. Also, there is a donate button in the show notes. If you can donate some money and help me do this on a weekly basis, it'd be great. It's a PayPal button. You'll see it's pretty straightforward. And finally, I want to thank our sponsor, MediaTek. MediaTek's Dimensity 5G family powers the highest end smartphones and brings flagship 5G technology to the mass market so everyone can experience the power of 5G. With MediaTek Dimensity, you can expect incredible. So thanks again to MediaTek for sponsoring this show. And Igor, thanks again for being my guest. I really appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. Well, folks, we'll have Igor on again at some point in the future. And you know there's going to be a show next week. And that show is all going to be about Google I.O. So stay tuned for that. And until then, folks, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.